good morning. My name is Michael Fay. I'm the missions pastor here at McDowell Mountain Community Church, and I'm so excited uh, to be with you and, and getting to share with you this morning um, what I believe God has, has for us this morning. Um, prior to coming on staff here at McDowell Mountain, I served as a middle school and high school Bible teacher at a local Christian school. And one of the things that we did in Christian school that some of my friends who grew up not going to Christian school, they think it was quite peculiar, was this thing that we would do called Bible memory verse tests. And what we would do is on Fridays, students would come in and write a verse from memory that they were assigned earlier in the week. And the intent of, of giving these tests was to help um, the, the students learn scripture and, and do as the Bible says, hide it in their heart. And I can tell you as a fourth grader, uh, I can remember learning verses in Miss Hazen's fourth grade Bible class that I still know to this day that have helped guide my life as I've walked out my faith, as I've gotten to be an adult. And so that's the intent uh, for, for Bible memory verse tests, but it doesn't always work that way for some of the students. Uh, one day as a Bible uh, teacher, I was teaching sixth grade, and I looked up from my desk and I saw three uh, sixth grade boys in the back of the room blatantly cheating on their memory verse test. And I, at first I was like, are you kidding me? And then I had to like admire for a, a brief amount of time that they were doing it so blatantly in front of my face. I was like, I can't believe, wow, they're pretty bold. So I, I like walked over and I said, okay, you three, I need your tests. See me after class. And they were like, oh my gosh. And um, so, so the class ended, they came over to my desk, and I, I was like, guys, I mean, are we serious cheating on your verse test? And they said, and one of the kids was like, oh, Mr. Fay, I didn't know what the date was. I was just trying to look and see the date on my friend's paper. And I was like, you were looking at his paper for like two minutes. You couldn't figure out the date like in two minutes? I said, you were cheating. Why would you cheat on this verse test? It, this is a verse that we've been talking about all week in class. And uh, the, the test isn't even worth that many points. Like, why would you choose to cheat? On something like this. Oh, I don't know, Mr. Fay. So one of the kids' name was Drew. I said, Drew, go grab your Bible out of your backpack and, and come over here and I want you to open it up uh, to, to the Bible verse um, that was this week that you were cheating on. He goes, well, I, I don't know where it is. That's why I was cheating. I said, okay, well, it's, it's, Ephesians, it's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. So go ahead and turn there and, um, and I want you to read what the verse says. So I, I remember uh, Drew uh, got his, his Bible out and he turned to Ephesians chapter 5, Verse 1, and in, in his quiet little voice, he said this, Be imitators of God, therefore, as, remember, this is the verse that they cheered on, they cheated on, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And he, he went on, and he, he kind of paused every couple of moments, and then he got to, to verse 3, and it says, But among you there must be no hint of immorality. And he stopped, and I'll never forget this little sixth grader's face, and he looked up at me with this sheepish grin and said, of all the verses we, we could have cheated on, this <laughs> probably wasn't the one we should have, right, Mr. Fay? And I remember laughing, and in this moment where I was like frustrated and disappointed with them, we laughed a little bit, and, and uh, you know, it, it, it illustrates something that I think is, is what this series is about. You see, for these students, they were memorizing the scripture not because they wanted to put it into practice in their life, they're memorizing it and, and figuring out what order to put the words in in order to make the grade. But they obviously weren't looking at, at the verse and what it was saying and encouraging them to do. I mean, they were cheating on a verse that, in a way, says, don't cheat. They were being rebellious about, in, in regards to a verse that says, be like God, imitate God's character. So they obviously weren't looking at what the verse was calling them to do. 
And I tell you that story today because I think oftentimes we perhaps can be a little bit like those students. That oftentimes we perhaps hear scripture or read scripture and go, yeah, that's the right thing to do. But the question comes, are we actually doing that? Are we putting that into practice? Last week, Mark uh, kicked off this series, the series Love Does, and he shared with us uh, this verse that's kind of a theme verse for this series from 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 18, and it says this, Dear children, let's not just talk about love, let's practice real love. Let's, just, let's not just sit around and, and say, yeah, that's what we should be doing, we should love. Let's actually go and do it. That's why this series is not called Love Is. This series is called Love Does. Let's do love. Let's show love. In in the letter 1 John, a chapter later, um, John writes about how important it is and how vital it is that Christians uh, show love to the rest of the world. He says this in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And John's trying to communicate, listen, this is why it's important. We cannot know God apart from love because that is the nature of who God is. When you are loving someone, there's something about that that act that reveals something about who God is. If you're not loving, you can't know who God is because God is love. And he has this little passage, and it kind of ends with verse 12. And it's this verse that it's displayed on this canvas that Christy has hanging in our our house. And I see it every day when I walk outside, uh, get ready to walk outside our house. It says, no one has ever seen God, verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. It's as if John is saying, listen, when you and I love one another or we love other people, we make God visible for the rest of the world to see. It's as if God has given us this responsibility to make his name known in the world, that people would know who he really is through our acts of love. That's why it's so important and why John is is, is so adamant about talking about love. He talks about it 27 times alone in chapter four. He wants us to understand it's so important in the life of followers of Jesus that we're loving. The world knowing who God is depends on it. And so I'm excited to, to, to continue in this series today to build on what Mark talked about last week. But before we dive into scripture, will you join me in prayer as we invite God to speak to us this morning through his scripture? Let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity to come and to dive into your word. And God, I just pray that our our, uh, hearts and minds would be open to hear what you have to say to us today, uh, that uh, the words of scripture would penetrate our hearts, and that um, we would take to heart what what it is you are saying to us this morning. Thank you for this chance to gather in this space uh, and to focus on you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm hoping some of you took up uh, Mark on his challenge to, to bring love uh, in surprising ways to the people around you. We got a lot of posts on Facebook and Instagram of people who brought love to life. And we promised you last week, someone who brought love to life, we wanted to reward you with the book. So up on the screen, we have two pictures. It's actually a two for one. The Stone family. Hi, Christy. Here's a book for you. Uh, the Stones, Christy and her daughter Brooklyn at Costco bought some candy bars and gave them to the people that were working in the auto department of Costco. 
uh, just to say, hey, I hope, hope this candy bar brightens your day. And that's Ryan on the left spending time with a man downtown who uh, he just wanted to connect with and love on this morning that could, that could use some uh, relationship and some love. So this is a reward for you. Thank you guys for, for bringing love to life in a surprising way. Round of applause for the stones. We... We saw lots of things. We saw a, a husband surprise his wife with a picnic date in the park. Uh, Joe Webb bought um, Polar Pops, these 44-ounce sodas at Circle K for the guys behind him in line. Um, me and my kids wanted to get in on the action, so we went to Dairy Queen and got a large blizzard for ourselves, and then also bought the blizzard for the guy behind us in line at the drive-thru. And I spent some time explaining to um, my kids why we're doing this. And so like, when we were in the drive-thru, we got it, and we paid, and we were like driving away. All the kids were like ducking and like hiding and looking out the window to see what the guy would do. And we had left by the time he figured out we paid for it, but they were so excited. And um, we got home and I was tucking my youngest son, Crosby, into bed and he's only three. And, and he said, Daddy, I wanna tell you something. And I thought, oh, oh my gosh, like that conversation about love. And, he, and he's cuddling real close with me and he, he grabbed my cheeks and pulled me close and put his nose against my, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is gonna be one of those moments I always remember. And I thought, he's getting it. I mean, even my three-year-old gets putting love into action. And he held me real close, he looked at me and he said, Daddy, I love mommy. <laughs> and then he just rolled over and went to sleep. And I was like, I, me too, buddy, I love mommy too. So we're still working on teaching the faith children to love those that are right in front of them, like myself, but we're not there yet. Um, but so last week, as Mark talked about, bring, love does the surprising, it does the unexpected, it breaks the routine, right? But I think that God wants us to take that a step further, that, that yes, love comes in in surprising ways and breaks the routine, but what God wants us to do is then therefore take the next step to not fall back into the routine that we were in prior to that act of love, but to perhaps develop a new way of living, a way of living that brings love to life every single day in simple ways. I had an email this week from a lady who said, I just got back from a, a trip to Guatemala, a mission trip, and I want to volunteer for your uh, family shelter dinner service. Going on that trip helped me realize the importance of serving, and so I want to start doing that on a regular basis. You see, for, for this woman, the mission trip was this out-of-the-ordinary, surprising thing that's, that doesn't happen all the time, but it caused her to, to think differently. It, it was a catalyst to, to live according to a new routine, to develop a new habit of loving others on a daily basis in simple ways. And that's what I want to look at a little bit today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Colossians chapter 3, and that's where we're going to land uh, this morning. But before we do that, looking out right now, let me just make sure I can say this with 100% certainty. Yes, I can. All of us participated in the same habitual habit activity prior to leaving the house to come to church today. Every single one of us did the exact same thing. Does anybody know what we did? We got dressed in the morning. Now, for those of you who are streaming online, I cannot speak for you. I don't know what you're wearing at home if you're still in your PJs. But for those of you who are here right now, we're all dressed in clothing. And I'm willing to bet, in fact, I, I almost can guarantee that none of us had to uh, give a lot of mental capacity or, or a lot of cognitive thinking to getting dressed in the morning. Now, what I mean by that is some of you probably put thought into what you're wearing. 
Does this match what I'm, my, my, my pants? Guys, do, does my shirt match my pants? Ladies, does my top match my bottoms? Some of you perhaps didn't put very much time into thinking about that, and some of us can notice that. Perhaps you're, <laughs> perhaps you're thinking that right now about me. I can't believe you wore that shirt with those jeans. I mean, what was he thinking? But none of us had to think through actually getting dressed. None of us, as we were walking out, going, oh, yeah, i got to put my clothes on before I leave today. We don't think that. Why? Because it's habit. It's something that we do every day. Now, that's not true for my, my three-year-old and my one-year-old, right? They're perfectly fine leaving the house in their underwear, and they don't even think anything of it. But we have to remind, no, 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 buddy, we got to put clothes on, sweetheart. we got to put clothes on before we leave the house, because that routine, that habit hasn't been initiated. But for, for, for most of us, I'm hoping all of us, we don't even have to think about it. It's something that we do automatically every morning. It's a habit. And Paul uses this metaphor of, of getting dressed when he wants to talk about love uh, to this church in Colossae when he writes this letter. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes this. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you, and regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Wear love. A different translation says, put on love, which binds together all of those virtues, which binds together kindness and compassion and humility, binds them all together in perfect unity, put on love. Paul uses this metaphor of when we dress ourselves, to dress ourselves in love. Perhaps what Paul's encouraging us to do is just like you and I, we don't have to think about putting on, love, putting on our clothes in the morning in the same way we should not even have to think about putting on love. It should be this defining factor of who we are. That in the same way that we don't have to think about putting on clothes when we leave the house, that we would never leave the house without putting on clothes, that perhaps we should never leave the house without putting on this attitude of love. That it's our all-purpose garment. Never leave home without it. Paul's encouraging us to develop this habit of putting on love, that it would define who we are as followers of Christ. In his book, The Power of Habit, by Charles Duhigg, he tells the story of a guy named Eugene Pauly. And Eugene Pauly was sitting at his breakfast table, and his wife, Beverly, turned to him and said, hey, Eugene, uh, Michael's coming for dinner tonight. Eugene turned and said, who's Michael? She said, our son. You know the one that we raised? And Eugene turned to her and said, we have a son? And Beverly quickly realized something was not right. And she rushed Eugene to the hospital, they ran some tests very quickly and found out that he was suffering from something called viral encephalitis, which is a very common virus that people can catch, but for some rare few, it attacks the brain. And in Eugene's life and in his brain, it had attacked the, the part of his brain that houses memory. His short-term memory was completely gone. He couldn't remember the names of his, of his children, couldn't remember the names of his friends. Uh, he wouldn't have been able to tell you his address or his phone number or what his house looked like. Couldn't remember the names of the doctors or the nurses uh, that came into his room dozens of times every day. It was gone. Well, through a long recovery process, 
um, Eugene finally was well enough to go home, despite the fact that he had literally no short-term memory. And as he was being discharged, the doctors instructed his wife, listen, you have to keep a close watch on him, because if he ever leaves the house, he might not ever come home, because he won't know how to get home, because he has no memory. So one day, while uh, Beverly is taking a shower, Eugene got up and went right out the front door to take a walk. Beverly got out of the shower. She looked around, and Eugene wasn't there. Eugene, where are you? She ran around the house, couldn't find him. She, she ran outside, and, and saw, so she went to the front door, and it was open. She realized, oh, my gosh, she must have gone for a walk. So she runs down the street. She's looking, cannot find him. She starts going to neighbor's house after neighbor's house, thinking maybe he mistakenly thought that was his house. She begins to be panicked after about 25 minutes of, of not being able to find him. So she runs home because she's going to call the police. And she walks in the front door and finds Eugene sitting on the sofa watching the History Channel. How did you get back here? You don't remember anything. Like you, you, don't, you don't know where we live or our address or anything? He said, I don't know how I got back here. I just did. So they met with a doctor named Dr. Larry Squire, who's this brain expert. And he couldn't, they couldn't figure out, doctors were amazed. How did they figure out that he was able, how was he able to figure out how to get home when he doesn't know his address or what his house looks like? And if you asked him how you get home, he said, I don't know. And they, they, they found out that there's this area of the brain called the basal ganglia. And in the basal ganglia is where habits are stored. And they said, despite the fact that Eugene wouldn't have been able to tell you where his house is or what his address was or what it looked like or how to get back there, because he had done it so many times, it had become part of his routine. It's as if he didn't even really need to think about it. He was just able to get home. And this is true in all of our lives. There's things that perhaps when we first did them, it was challenging. But the more and more that we did them, it became easier. One of the examples in the book that they give is this idea of backing a car out of the driveway. If you were 16 years old and you were, you're learning to do this, it can be quite challenging checking your mirrors, making sure your seatbelt's uh, buckled, turning the car's ignition, putting the car in reverse, letting off a certain amount of pressure on the, on the brake to let the car go backwards, checking your mirrors, making sure you're not going to hit a mailbox or a passerby, all while someone's trying to change the radio station. But nowadays, perhaps if you've been driving for a longer period of time and you have kids in the car, you almost do this without even thinking. And you do it safely and efficiently. And in the midst of backing up, you're still able to remember that Billy left his lunch bag inside and you can go get that. Well, why are we able to do that? Because our brain has made it a routine. What once seemed difficult was now super easy, something that you don't even have to dedicate any thought to. Perhaps the same is true of love. Maybe this last week, that challenge of bring love in surprising ways, bring love to life, show someone that you love them in a surprising way. Some of us were like, I don't even know where to begin with that, and I don't, I'm going to have to talk to a stranger, and I'm going to have to do, uh, it might be challenging, but here's the fact of the matter. If we make it a habit, if we seek to do love, perhaps in simple ways, it can become part of who we are. Perhaps, like Paul compares it to, perhaps it's something like putting on clothes in the morning, that it's automatic and routine, and something you don't even have to think about. Now, during preparation for this sermon, I was like, I want to see what this looks like. I want to see what love lived out simply uh, in a habitual style, in a habit. Uh, what does it look like? And I wanted to see it in the life of Jesus. And so I, I dove into the gospel accounts of Jesus. And I kept reading story after story. And every time I, th I thought I found a, an act of simple love, 
uh, that Jesus did, I'd go, oh, that's not simple. That's kind of extraordinary. And I'd go to a different story. Oh, oh, here we go. Oh, that's incredible. Okay. Uh, that one, okay. Oh, man, Jesus, that's so awesome. That doesn't work for simple. I mean, I need a simple. And what I, what I came to, to feel was that every story of Jesus was extraordinary. Every act of love that he showed was extraordinary. And I was like, well, none of them will work. But then I started looking at the stories really closely, and I realized that what he did oftentimes was simple. And what was extraordinary was the outcome of that action. I looked at the story that Mark talked about last week about the woman at the well that Jesus encounters who's Samaritan. And all Jesus does is speak truth to her and encourages her, and the trajectory of her life is forever altered. She's affected by this. She goes and she runs and she tells all these people about Jesus. I read the story about uh, this woman that's brought to Jesus who's being accused of being caught in adultery. And they throw her in front of Jesus and they want to stone her. And Jesus does this simple act of, of like listening and then bending down and like writing in the dirt. We don't even really know what he was writing. But something that he writes kind of stands up for this lady, defends her. And the people go away and Jesus says, I don't condemn you anymore. Go and sin no more. This simple act. And it has enormous ramifications in her life. And I looked at story after story where Jesus showed simple acts of compassion, whether it was a kind word or a challenging truth that someone needed to hear or providing a meal to someone who was hungry or just sharing a table with a prostitute or a drunkard or a thief or a glutton or a sinner. And these acts of compassion were so simple and yet they produced extraordinary uh, results, ex produced extraordinary transformation. And this is the truth that I want us to hear this morning, is this, a simple act of love can produce extraordinary transformation. A simple act of love can have eternal repercussions, enormous effects in someone's life. When I was uh, a 12th grade student, I was in a Bible study with my youth pastor, and there was about five or six of us other seniors that were graduating. He wanted to have a little get-together where we um, sat around, and he wanted to share some things about what he saw in our lives while we were in his ministry. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget sitting in his living room, and he was there, and he looked at me, and he said, Michael, I want you to know, I believe God has big plans for you, and that he's going to use you in other people's lives someday in your ministry. And I remember going, ministry? I want to own a restaurant. What are you talking about, ministry? <laughs> and I remember him saying that, and I can tell you right now that that statement, that simple statement just made to me, radically changed the trajectory of my life. And I can quite confidently say that I probably would not be standing here before you as a pastor in a church if it wasn't for that line of love from Will Wartenberg spoken into my life. So my question for you this week is how can you love others in a simple way? I think we fall into the lie of uh, uh, believing the lie that, that a simple act of love can only produce simple results or a simple outcome, but that's not true. Maybe for you, a, a simple act of love is, is something to do with your family. Maybe it's grabbing a napkin and writing, you are so important to our family, I love you, and dropping that in your son or daughter's lunchbox before they go to school. 
Maybe it's getting up and doing some landscaping in the backyard before your wife asks you to do that. Can I get an amen, husbands? Anybody? <laughs> That's me. Maybe it's something at work. Maybe it's changing a tire of someone uh, whose tire is flat in the parking lot. Maybe it's uh, encouraging a coworker who's going through something, just spending time, a couple extra minutes, asking them how they are, and when you ask them, actually really listening to their response. Maybe it's when you go to a restaurant, you leave a little bit bigger tip, and on the bottom of it, you are intentional about writing, thanks for being our server today. You were great. The fact of the matter is, is a simple act of love is going to look different for each one of us in our different areas of life. Some of us have children. Some of us uh, work high-stress jobs with lots of people. Some of us uh, do this for a living. Some of us do that. It's going to look different in your different arena of life. But my question for you is where can you bring a simple act of love into someone's life this week? I promise you, it can produce radical transformation in the lives of the recipients. I want to end with this um, little section from this book, Love Does, um, which we've been giving away by Bob Goff. Bob um, was a professor. Uh, he's a professor at, at Pepperdine University, also an adjunct professor at Point Loma Nazarene University, where I went to college. And I never had the, the chance to take a class with Bob, but I would see him walking uh, through campus, like walking on the campus mall. And he had this, like, way about his walk. And it was just kind of this walk, like, I kind of would compare it to, like, Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, just kind of like, just kind of like, you know, whatever happens. And in his, in his book, he uses this word whimsy all the time. He wants to live a life of whimsy. And that's what Bob's walk was. It was just kind of this whimsical, just like whatever happens, happens. And students could like interrupt Bob on his walk and he wouldn't be like, sorry, I'm busy. He would like stop and actually engage them in conversations. And he tells this part in his book um, about how he's a lawyer and he, and he taught business law, but a lot, oftentimes his clients would have to go to depositions. And, and depositions can be stressful for people because they're having to answer questions about some sort of lawsuit that they're in. And he would always tell his clients, when you are in there answering questions, I want you to sit with your palms up like this. Literally, sit with your palms facing the ceiling. He said there's something about the way God has hardwired our physical body and the way that we uh, relate with other people. He said when, when you sit with palms up, you have this posture that says, I'm, I'm up for whatever comes my way. I'm going to be honest here, and I'll be okay with whatever comes at me. He says the opposite's true. Perhaps if you were sitting right now with your, your, your fists clenched, it's a defensive posture. It's like I'm ready to, to fight off whatever is coming at me. He said palms up is a, is a way that says I'm accepting of what's coming my way. And I can tell you, that was true of, of, of Bob's life. I believe Bob lived palms up. Like I said, he'd often be walking the campus and people would interrupt him and he would stop and just like engage in conversation and people would like be done talking to him and he'd be like, no, 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 what, what else were you saying? Like then all of a sudden the interruption became this adventure for Bob, an opportunity to bring love to life in a simple way. He said the same was true of Jesus's life. See, oftentimes the, the, the people that Jesus interacted with, they weren't people that Jesus sought out. They were people that happened to cross paths with him. They came upon Jesus, or they heard that Jesus was doing something there, and they went to see him, see him. And so Jesus would be walking, and then all of a sudden, someone would come and interrupt where he was going. And we see story after story of Jesus being available to those people to show them love. Perhaps when Jesus got up every single morning, 
He put on love. He asked the question. He sat perhaps with palms up to say, God, I am available. I'm up for whatever opportunity you bring my way to bring life and love to the people I encounter. And so right now, I want to encourage you, um, and you're going to do this with me. I know some of you are like, oh, really? I want, I want you to sit palms up right now. If you're holding something, just put it on the floor. Don't spill it, but put it on the floor and go palms up. And maybe this is a routine that, that you do this week as you, as you get dressed. It's your last step in getting dressed in the morning. But say, God, I am available today. I want to bring love to life in simple ways. God, I, I want to live palms up. Whatever interruption, whatever inconvenience, whatever situation I happen to cross, I want to be available to bring love to life this week. Invite God's Spirit to guide you, to give you eyes to see and ears to hear of opportunities to love others in a simple, simple way. We as a church want to empower you and equip you to do that this week. Uh, on your way out today, we have some ushers that are going to be handing you a $1 bill. And on the $1 bill is the word love. You can't really do much with a $1 bill. That's the point. We want you to find a simple way to love someone with that $1 bill. Maybe it's buying coffee for someone who looks cold. Maybe it's, it's going to a thrift store, finding something that costs a dollar, and clothespinning it onto that item free shirt. It's awesome. To find simple ways to show love and to bring love into the world. Why? Because when we love other people, we make God visible to the rest of the world. Would you stand with me? As we close in worship, we want to give you space to respond. We have crosses uh, like we do every week. We have crosses up here. If you want to write something on, on a note and pin it to the cross, and that's your way of, of saying, God, I give this to you. We have candles in the back. Light in the, in the Bible often uh, represents God's presence. Maybe you want to invite God's presence into your heart today. God, flood me with your presence this week so that I may love others simply. And lastly, we have uh, uh, communion today as well. We practice open communion here. If you're a follower of Jesus, we would encourage you to celebrate his death and resurrection on, on the cross, his body and blood poured out for you. We would encourage you to respond how you feel led this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity to come and to focus on love. God, I pray that you would empower us this week to find ways to bring love to life in simple, simple ways. God, I pray that you would help us in the morning when we get ready to leave our house to dress ourselves in love. God, to mentally say, God, I am available. I am palms up for you. Whatever comes my way, God, I want to bring love to life in simple ways to those around me. God, we thank you for this time. In your holy and precious name, amen.